Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you are struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. Society needs to know that we can't do this. But the reality is, is those men had a choice in front of them that was so horrific. They could give up their one daughter to be married, or they could give up all of their daughters. Because the leader, if they didn't allow this one daughter to go get married, then the leader was going to take away all their daughters. This is part two of our conversation with Brielle Decker. They would say a lot after the end of every sermon, they'd say, if you agree, stand up. If you don't agree, stand up. Like, you know, sit down and then if you don't agree, stand up and sit down. But nobody would ever stand up on they don't agree. So that's what caught me in the end, in the secret meeting, in the deep, darkest part of it was he said, if you agree, then say yes. And we're like, yes. And he's like, well, if you don't agree, then say yes. And we're like, everybody just was quiet. And he's like, okay, so now you said you agree. If you really do, I want you to show me. And I was like, oh, that's like, you know, really bad. Because like the thing is, is in a prayer, if you say amen, technically that's supposed to mean that you agree. But everybody says amen. So I was like, what am I supposed to do now? You know, so I just kept going. But yeah. So when he was arrested, were they trying to charge you as well? This, I'm sorry, this is the government. The- no, he was. They were trying to charge him, but he told us they were trying to charge us too. Oh, he told you that, but you. So you weren't made aware by law enforcement that you're an accomplice and they're coming after. We didn't know anything about law because we were born and raised in this. So he he told us he was above the law. We should only listen to him. So when you grow up in that faith, you and I'm sorry to sound so ignorant about it, but I know nothing about it's it. Fine, yeah. You don't know anything about like law enforcement or police officers or judges or there are enemies. I know a very limited amount. There are enemies. Yeah, because they don't like polygamy because it's illegal in America, and and there's more reasons. Like um, they would tell history of the church. We never heard world history. We only heard history of the church all my childhood because it was a homeschool, all FLDS kids that I went to school with. So basically, yeah, it was... It is a full-on indoctrination from the womb. Yeah, it was. No clinical, no therapy, you know, just basically do what Warren just says. And the only reason why I believe that I was a critical thinker was two reasons. My father, he wasn't a, he was a silent disagreer, but he wouldn't, he would never voice it, but I would see it in his eyes and all of that. So like I... Sure had that in me already, critical thinking. And then the red flags that he set off at the marriage um, really changed my course of just not listening to him. So thank God. I'm like, it's obviously not working. Why would I go that way? Because like he just corrected all these men in front of me that I've worshipped my whole life. So whatever he's saying doesn't work. That's the idea I had in my mind. I need to find a different way to make this work. And then I found out there was no way to make it work. So 
that was a surprise to me too. I didn't realize I was going to observe and find out there was no way. And that's what I figured out. So, um, like when the, there was a lot of shocks after I left, like I would say, they would tell us if you ever find yourself on the outside of the church, you just ask for an attorney because everybody's going to want to talk to you. And you just say, I want an attorney. I want an attorney. So I said, I want an attorney. And they sent me to the department of justice because there's like tons of different types of attorneys and all these things. And I talked to this lady who was a friend of one of the activists and they ended up flying out to Utah and talking to me. And I was so scared. I didn't tell them anything. I don't even know how to communicate very good. And it kind of goes over that in the documentary. I, there was no way I was going to tell them anything after all that indoctrination my whole life. Being out here now, I, I'm a public speaker. I, I went and got his house. So that was when I came back to Utah, I went, I found out I had rights to his house in Hilldale. You've been through very horrific things, but it's a, it seems like you almost got the last laugh in a way. Yeah. <laughs> well, not the last one. He has a multiple properties. He has like 70 other compounds right now. 70? But in this compound, that's XFLDS, which is a unique one. It's an older compound. Um, his new ones have the guard towers and the gates around them. The older one doesn't really, and it's mostly XFLDS now. So that one had his house. But I'm sorry, you, did you say 70 as in seven zero or seven? Seven zero. Yeah. Compounds with guard yeah. towers and... No, Collier, this is the biggest, like, quote unquote, cults or, you know, biggest cults ever. Yes. And it, like he has like his control over people. He has the biggest coercive control over people. It's not like when he went to prison, they stopped following him. They still follow him. He can't be a new prophet till he dies. So they don't even, so they don't think because he's in prison that he's done something wrong. They don't believe it. They say he's in prison because he got, it's religious persecution. He got fabricated. It's not true. That's what they believe. Yeah. He tells them that too. And yeah. So there are a lot of people who still follow him. A lot of people. It's not like Christianity when the leader like gets caught in something and goes away. Everybody just goes to another church across the street, you know, like they go to another Christian church. That's not how it is. That's not how it is. He cannot do wrong. God would kill him before he'd allow his people to be led astray. So there's no prophet. If they followed him from the start, they're, yeah. Oh my God. And like call you, you have to understand too that like, this is all they're taught to believe in him, right? Yeah. So like, you cannot, like, you are very incredible because you fight against what your brain has taught you and what ha everything around you has been taught, you know? So for these people, they're so heavily trauma bonded to him because they cannot break away because that would be to bend their, yeah, to change the reality of the whole real world, everything that they've been taught. It's their whole world. They have a new prophet that's Whoa. one of his sons is stepping up. And there was another one a few years ago that stepped up and he was caught recently in an FBI raid in, yeah, he had underage rights also. It's like he put it, so I don't know if you understand LDS very much. Mostly LDS catch on to this because they understand the prophet thing. If the prophet stands up in church and talks about a topic, it's now doctrine. 
And so basically, yeah, it's just it's a safe to assume I know nothing about the LDS faith whatsoever. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so it's now doctrine. So basically, when Warren Jeffs talked about underage brides, that's how he put pedophilia in the doctrine. Um, so now the leader after him, if they follow FLDS, it doesn't necessarily mean they believe in the same things as Warren Jeffs. But if they follow Warren Jeffs, that means they live everything Warren Jeffs taught and more. Can you take anything out of the doctrine? Can you stand up and say, we are not marrying underage women in this church they can't do that because that would be denouncing the prophet before. So basically, wow. if they follow Warren Jess, they're living a point in marriage pedophilia. So it's a point in marriage. It's not like it's not like regular pedophilia because he was Warren Jeffs was commanding men to marry underage brides because he had all the right in a point in marriage first. He set up a point in marriage first, and then he started telling people to be pedophiles. They weren't always attracted. Like regular pedophilia. Yeah, yeah. So they were, it was almost forced pedophilia. So it wasn't like they wanted. It was forced. And I have an uncle in prison for life because of it. Yeah. So, okay. So that's my next question is did do they then come after these men? Yeah, they did. Because society, society needs to know that we can't do this. But the reality is, is those men had a choice in front of them that was so horrific. They could give up their one daughter to be married, or they could give up all of their daughters because the leader, if they didn't allow this one daughter to go get married, then the leader was going to take away all their daughters. They could go in the court route after they get excommunicated and go fight for all their children, but they didn't understand that route. And some people did succeed anyways. There were some fathers who did leave the church at that point when they were asked to give up a daughter, but some fathers didn't make that choice. They gave up the one daughter that they were convinced was just going into to to have a boyfriend but never have marital relations and all of that. That's what he told them also. And then to find out later they're pregnant. This is heavy. <laughs> I don't know. What an evil person. This is really heavy. This is Yeah. So, yeah, my uncle is in prison for life, but he did more and then just give up his daughter. He was commanded to take an underage bride after that. And some of the men are, were, had less sentences because they only gave up a daughter or else they only had an underage bride or, you know, not only, but like that was, that was just, the whole thing was so messed up. And the next leader who was Warren's son. Yeah, because these people have their lives destroyed by a, by a cult leader because they're, if they're choosing the, do you want the gun or the knife? Which one do you want? <laughs> you can slit your wrist or you can blow your brains out. Which would you like to do? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's how I felt at, a, at the wedding. I literally tell people that. I happened to be 18, which was a lucky thing for me because I, I became 18 right before and right after he became the leader. So I had a little bit more leeway. The prophet before Warren was a little better. So I turned 18. Your father could have gotten in trouble if you were 17 and he had to give you up or lose you. He could have gotten in trouble yeah, as well. Yeah, but I was 18. So basically I had a little more mental capacity. So I feel like I was a little bit more lucky. Clearly. <laughs> but, so yeah, I... Um, Stubborn. <laughs> yeah, I, it was still really horrific, but like I feel like... The children nowadays are going through more than I did because 
they're younger, they're um, being isolated at a younger age, they're going into these new compounds, sometimes born in these new compounds without IDs. They're not registering them. They have midwives in the church and they're not like registering them with America. So like basically this recovery center. So after I got Warren Jeff's house and went and found the dream center that made it a recovery center, they take in people who do not have social security numbers in America because of this reason. They will help pe find people at the birth and get them a social because of this reason. They don't just take anybody from other countries, but they'll take people from America who don't have a social because of this problem. And it takes months to figure out all of that sometimes. So they don't have deadlines at this shelter that's case-based. Oh my gosh. Obviously, this is a massive problem with the LDS faith. And I have so many questions, but yeah. um, does this type of trafficking also occur outside the LDS faith in other sort of situations that are prominent? You said, you're, you're, for example, your, your husband is Mexican, correct? I don't understand all the traumas myself. I can't speak. I do believe it is happening more often than we are realizing, though. It's so hard to survive a situation like that. There's not as many people speaking up because they, they're so traumatized if they do survive. Um, sure. We have a unique situation going on with the XFLDS taking over this town, this older compound in Colorado City in Hilldale. I believe we have more voices than we've ever had in history about this topic because people are realizing they were they're waking up to what trauma is. They're waking up to realize that they were neglected. They were, you know, they had these huge families. There was no way for their mother to keep track of them all. Um, they're just waking up more and more and more. There's so many levels to it, so many layers. Being in Utah, because the recovery center is in Utah, we've had to go through a lot of things to figure out how to get funding for that, that capacity, that many people. Going through grant route is the mo the usual route for people to get funding for organizations like that. But we're in Utah. So to get a grant, you have to really filter through it because they're Mormons that write them and they have a lot of say in how you run your organization. So we went with the Christian route. The Dream Center is a Christian-based organization because they have personal funding We can that broadens the scale way more to help people the way they really need. And also they are very conscious of making sure that the triggers of religion are not brought up in the facility. They, they do, um, talk, make it optional Okay. church at all. They have it in a different place in the town and it's optional. And, but for some people, they don't always realize that Christianity is different when they come from LDS. So for right off the bat, they think, Oh, this is a trigger. But if they can get past that first step, and walk in the facility anyway, which a lot of them do because there's not a lot of resources. And if they do walk into the building, they usually find out it's a protection for them because it is different and they don't have to worry about people not believing their story and stuff like that. It happens a lot of times in Utah when they want to kind of shush up all the victims. I'm like, you just hit, hit me with a lot, but I really love that it is uh, Christian base. And but I'm still stuck on all the kids that are going to be sexually molested and taken advantage of. I'm not gonna lie, my brain slightly went to how do I go and take all these kids and find them great places to live and maybe take a few. 
<laughs> yeah. So my endeavor and the only thing I've come up with so far is we need to have more laws. We really need to protect, like we need to figure out a way to get into these compounds without yeah. just legal force. Cause like in the past, legal force has to find a reason. Somebody in the inside has to call out when they don't even have telephones half the time. They don't have a car. They don't have a way to call out. So they have to create a scenario where they can go in. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, Tara, as you know, I've been going back to therapy and I absolutely love it. You've been going back to therapy too, right? Oh yeah, I went back to therapy and I went back to BetterHelp as well. Did you really? And how's that working out for you? I love it because there's so many therapists to choose from on there. Whatever you need, you could just go through a list. I went through a list the other day, just seeing what they had to offer. There was one with PTSD. There's so many great therapists. I mean, I believe there's over 30,000 different therapists that are on their app and you can communicate with them with video conferencing. You can do messages and communicate with your therapist. It's a very personalized experience, which I really love. Oh yes. I texted with a therapist the other day and I'm never tried that out before and I was like oh because I was typing it out with her processing through it and usually I get angry when I type stuff out but I was like oh I was able to process it and work through it in a new way and you know what in a season of giving what better gift than to give yourself the gift of therapy in the season of giving give yourself what you need with better help Visit BetterHelp.com slash Survivor today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Survivor. And I think if we just made a way to make him go in, you know, like I think we should go through the homeschool route, honestly, because there's a lot of problems with, you know, like a lot of kids get overlooked in the public school route, but what if they never get seen at all? Yeah, There's going to be a way more horrific amount of people that get, so when my idea of helping this situation would be to go through the homeschool route, because it's not discriminatory, it doesn't yeah. target just religions, but it kind of captures the same audience of people that are being completely overlooked. And I think we shouldn't go in threatening them if they don't do this and that, you know, they'll take their kids away. We wouldn't do that. We would just tell them we're offering resources. And if you don't want us, then you get to pay for the resources. <laughs> I don't know. That's my idea. Something like that on that line. Because the government protects these people because they're protected under the guise of religion? Yes. So they can't just go in and storm the compound and be like, we want to see what's in my D's. We want to see what's going on here. Yeah. Who's got a social security card? Like they would if they were going into a house of illegal immigrants <laughs> right? in California that are being housed, that are being sex trafficked, and they would go in and be like, we're going to pull all these people out. They just can't. They don't have that type of power because of the religious protections of the Constitution. They have to create a whole reason, and they have to have insiders that escape come out and tell them what's actually going on. And sometimes it's just getting harder. It's just getting so hard for them to escape. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you are just incredible and what everything you're doing is just making such a huge difference. And I just commend you because you're incredible. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I'm grateful that I survived. I'm grateful I got to see freedom. I, I do love helping people. I'm very passionate about like, you know, seeing progress and it, even if it's little things, cause like, I know how hard it was when I was, you know, I've been out 11 years now, and that's really not a long time when you think about all the steps that needed to take two years of just getting my ID done. It's been, it took me about a year since I applied for the house to actually get the keys to the house. And then to find the Dream Center was another year. Um, 
they've been there now. They had to get their licensing, which took three years, but they were there anyway, doing what they could on a small capacity. They couldn't fill it to full. But now that they have their big licensing, they're able to fill it to capacity. They have families, they have women in the top floor with kids. And also they do have a basement that have men um, and boys that, um, get, cause it, the whole system in the FLDS is, you know, shuns the young boys. A lot of times they'll send them out, the calm lost boys. Yeah. Um, because they are competition for the girls. How do you get 79 wives if you haven't shunned some boys? Um, sadly, um, there's been eight year olds cause they believe in the F in the LDS and the FLDS that if you're eight years old, you get baptized in the church, then God stops atoning for you at that point. And you have to atone for your own sins. That's why works is so important. But anyway, in the FLDS, cause they're so extreme, they would send, if they don't like the boy, sometimes at eight years old, they would get dropped off somewhere outside of the church. So, um, yeah, it, you know, it is pretty, it's a, it's a tough situation and, and realizing how, what the need is. Like I've had people say, what do the elderly do right now? Cause our facility helps mostly single moms. Um, it does help boys and men, but like, and the middle floor is like basically, and you can tour it. Like people can come and tour it all the time. We, we do tours. Um, we just kind of give a heads up to everybody on the campus. And if they choose to come out, we let them come out. But like, otherwise we do a quick tour. The main floor has the dining room and the kitchen where people get to talk and associate a little bit. Um, art room that's on the main floor. They have offices, um, a theater room. Uh, so anyway, they have a clothing closet they have cause they need that. Cause like the clothing drastically changes usually when they leave, they don't have anything. Um, they have, they feed them three times a day. It's a nonprofit. So it's completely free to go there. They do like donations. It's shortcreekdreamcenter.org. If you want to, if anybody wants to donate. And that um, will be in the show notes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so basically yeah, it's just, they asked me, people ask me um, what the elderly do. Cause it doesn't, it's not geared to elderly. I'm like, right now they don't leave. They don't have a place really. Um, most of them tell me they, they don't know how to make it on the outside. Um, that's really sad to say, but that's where we're at. Single moms will come into the facility. We're still working toward a daycare in this town where they have these huge families. The daycares get filled up so fast. And plus the houses are unfinished in this town. So basically to have a certified daycare where the people can get the, the state to help them out with daycare so they single mom can go get a job. It's a, it's a long haul. You know, we have to fix up these houses. They're getting charged a lot right now because there actually isn't that many facilities set up. So there's people doing daycare, but they're like nannies and you have to pay a high price. You know, there is one daycare in Centennial um, that is certified, I believe, but it's maxed out. Like, so anyway, the dream center is trying to figure out like how to do their own daycare and they're working toward that so the single moms can have and go get a job, you know, have some help and have it all certified so the state will help out and all of that. So that's in the process. So that's for the little kids, the adults, you know, there's a whole chain of things that have to happen because of the poverty level, the need, like all these people that are XFLDS, they do have a food bank. The Dream Center has a food bank in town. They serve like more food out of this food bank they say then, like, it's just the numbers. I can't 
quote them because I can't remember, but like they're just way more food they're serving out of the food bank in town than most food banks. <laughs> they and and they just they do it every week, and the people live on it. They rely on it. They they they're always so grateful. People show up. The lines clear out down the road, you know, because like they have these huge families they're trying to provide for it. They don't want to give up. A lot of people don't give up their plural wives even after they leave the church because their family. Um, some people just have the choice after they leave and decide they want to go a different way, but they still have all these kids. It's just, it, it's, it's just, you know, to see, to be on this side of it and be able to help as an activist on this side of it. There's a chain of things that, we're just in the beginning stages. The first, the most successful organization that has been in this field, I believe is called HOH and they're in Salt Lake, but they, um, they're holding out help. They've been around for like, like 15 years or something now. And they just got a building where they can house like quite a few people. And they had like six rooms for a while. And now they have like a building that they can house some people. So they started out as an outreach first where the Dream Center's been there now for five and a half years. And they're pretty successful because they really they really do everything they can to be successful. And it, it shows they're really good. Like people that work for them and stuff now, a lot of people that are ex-affiliates help out too. And they are comfortable because they can see the effort put into it. They're not like trying to skimp corners and maybe make it work. They're literally doing everything to make it work that they possibly can. So when the licensing comes in every year, so far they're just like, this is amazing, you know. And I've had people in the community come up to me and say, if you would have given this to any other organization, it would, it just wouldn't have been what it is, you know, because they've just done so much for our community. And then, um, so yeah. There's those, that's just, you know, on the outside, trying to make a difference in this huge need. I did, I did, my case with talking, testifying against Warren was like seven years old. So like we just testified in September and my goal is to get more into law, not because I like politicians, but because I think it's important. We need to create deeper laws so that's one of my things. So I do media, obviously. I educate people through projects. Like my book isn't out yet. It's uh, in the works. It's all written. It's just um, not published yet. We're working on that through the Dream Center. So my documentary, I do educational things. That's fun to me. That's like my hobbies. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> activism is what my career is right now. And then politics. You know, I, I have to it. get into legislature some, somehow. Not that I want to. I just want to partner with somebody and work on law, creating law. I love that. And then something good about your life, too, is that you also are married. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and my husband. Yeah, he's. we've been married like six years. I think in June it will be seven years since we met. So and that's healthy and it's a good positive. <laughs> yeah, he's good, positive amazing. marriage. It's yeah. Amazing. And also we have our own house. So we separate from the dream center. We have like, we're five minutes away, but it's a fix up and it's like 4,000 square feet with almost an acre of land. And it's, it's a, it's amazing experience 
to just be able to decorate you know, how yes. I want to. <laughs> <laughs> how do you, how does your husband reconcile with what you've been through? How does he relate? How does he, I mean, obviously you met him after you came out of all this. Like what is his process with all of this? I don't always, he's quiet, but he does have like a little bit of Mormon background. I mean, LDS because of uh, his ex-wife was Mormon, I guess. And he left it, he says, somewhat because of that. <laughs> and he just can you know, the Catholics are Mexicans, usually are Catholic. So, yeah, he's um, he's learned a lot, and he listens to me all the time. And he can almost tell my story, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but he's really patient. And, and I think the biggest thing I love about him is he's he he's so he's so compassionate and that to me that doesn't really mean like that doesn't seem like a, a quality with with everybody you know like you know especially with his own story and stuff he has a lot of trauma and stuff in his past but I don't know he just relates in different ways he relates quite a bit on a lot of levels but it's it's a whole different culture and I had to learn a lot about his culture too why certain things and he didn't always just tell me I'd find out from family members and stuff most of the time because he doesn't he doesn't he's just like why do you do that and then I'll tell him my reason and, and then he's like oh okay and I don't realize that he is reasoning is there's another reasoning behind it all the time I don't know why he asked me that question because I just thought he wanted to know my side of it I didn't realize there's a whole culture thing sometimes what you're doing is amazing. <clears throat> this is, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, so where, where can we find you on social media, everything? Yeah, I do have Facebook, um, Brielle Decker Blanchard. I have, um, I have Facebook and Instagram is Brielle Decker, I believe. I usually say Brielle Decker in media because I started media before I met my husband. Um, I started media because of the Dream Center, like looking for a people to come into that house and build what it is. Um, and it was before I met Stephen. I call him Stephen. His name is Esteban or whatever. I don't pronounce very um, well, so he's like, just call me Stephen. <laughs> Esteban. <laughs> yeah, like Collier said it. <laughs> <laughs> Collier's dog's name is Marisol. Well, like, he says it differently. Marisol. <laughs> but I say Marisol. <laughs> one of the things we say on this program is we're all a part of a club that no one really wants to be a part of, but we're all a part of the Survivor Squad. So, Brielle Decker, thank you so much for thank joining you. the program. Thank you for the opportunity. That, that's a wild story, isn't it? Yeah, and it's crazy how there can be a different stay a different compound away from everyone and it's just they have their own set of laws everything or they think they have their own set of laws that's what i find the most interesting is they're really not above the law but they just think they are which is it's a cult it's crazy yeah no it's so crazy how people can't leave they think the outside is dangerous they hate the outside and i'm just so proud of brielle for getting out and making this place her home and starting this foundation yeah. like i just can't even imagine what she has done to really take force of 
It is amazing. Yeah, she's just, she's been able to take her trauma and something that she survived and be able to help draw people out of this because this is sex trafficking. This is, this is coercive control. This is destruction of families and lives on a, mind the pun, a biblical scale, right? Yeah, no, I think this is evil in its highest form. Big thank you to Brielle Decker for joining the program. We will have links to all of her stuff in the show notes of today's episode. Uh, so Tara, by the way, before we let our listeners go, we have a coaching seminar coming up on July 1st, right? Yes, right before my birthday. We have Moving Past Trauma. It's two hours and you'll get to move past your trauma by learning about the nervous system, getting in tune with trauma, your own trauma and really moving past it. Tara and I, you know, we, we break it down on our survival stories and how we move past our trauma and share those sort of keys to the kingdom, if you will. It's a lot of fun. Everybody is so generous with their time and their stories. So yeah. And if you guys come and you're in therapy, you'll just learn more. There you go. More tools for therapy. On that note, survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad podcast. We'll see you guys. Bye. The Survivor Squad podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.